Good morning. This morning I'll be reading from Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 16. And it reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of, the, of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is in righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. Jesus' apostle Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Are you? See, in Paul's day, Christians were a distinct minority. The people that were shaping their culture, the political leaders, the entertainers, the athletes, the great thinkers and philosophers, none of them were Christians. And for good reason, because the Christians were weird. They were so very different, even among the Jewish people with whom the Christians shared a lot of roots and heritage. And the Jewish people were weird to most of the Gentiles as well, but they were at least a legally recognized weird. And even they thought that whatever's going on with the Christians, this is some truly odd stuff. Yet even though the prevailing view of most people in their world was that these guys are very, very odd, Paul knew. He knew without any shame that that good news that he received, it was for them. It was for those Jews that weren't sure about them, thought maybe they were blaspheming. It was for those Gentiles that thought these guys are really out there and odd. He knew the gospel was God's power to rescue those people. That it was God's power to save those people. That that good news that the one true God had sent his only son. That he had lived the perfect life that we have all failed to. That he gave that life as a sacrifice. But that he rose from the dead and now he reigns as the true Lord of all. Paul knew that that good news was the righteousness of God revealed. That this whole world was living so differently than what God intended when he created us. And because we weren't living the way God created us to, it was killing us. But faith in Jesus, giving our loyalty to him creates the opportunity that we can see what God intended for our lives. It lets us live that way for ourselves. Even though we're already dead, even though every one of us has already messed up, the good news about Jesus allows us to start living a new life. A life where we're right with God. Because that's what the word righteousness means. God is so loving, he's so kind, he's so merciful, he's so gracious, and we're not. Just as a people, that's just not the way we operate. Yet through Jesus, we're given a way that we can be right with him. Through Jesus, we're given a way that we can become like him, just like he always intended. Yet Paul acknowledges here in Romans 1 that as powerful as that message is, that way of life is going to be very, very different. In Romans chapter 1, continuing at verse 18, 
Paul writes here, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We don't like to talk as much about the wrath of God. If you gave us a choice, we would much rather talk about the love of God, but you can't have one without the other. I love my wife. And because I love my wife, that means I don't want anyone to hurt her. And if you were to hurt her, it would make me very angry. And the same is true with God. He loves us. He cares about us. He made us to be like Him, to be in a relationship with Him. That's the best version of our lives. And the things that make him angry, ungodliness, unrighteousness, are the choices that go against that. The things that we do that make it harder for people to experience God's goodness and his love. The things that we do to each other that cause people to doubt whether he's good, whether he even exists. Those are things that suppress the truth about God. And when we live our lives that way, it makes him angry because who God is how powerful he is how good he is how much he cares should be obvious just look at the world that he created everything that is needed for life water and air the temperature and climate there is no other planet in the universe that is like ours When you look at the world that God created with its intricate balance, with its marvelous complexity, the way that all living things rely on each other, that everything we need for life is just right here. It's remarkable. And as you look at all of that, you can't help but notice that there must be a deeper meaning. Because when we eat food, it doesn't just give calories, it tastes good. Whenever you see a sunrise, it's beautiful. Whenever you see an animal, it's cute. Everything about this world we live in declares that we're here for something more. That our lives are meant to to have certain questions that we ask. That there's 
purposes that we should be seeking out, we would find God if we did. But we didn't. And there's no excuse. You can look across multiple ancient cultures and you can find narratives about the creation of the world. You can find stories about great floods. The truth was out there. But there was always something missing. Something got garbled. Something got twisted. And the reason that that happened is because we didn't honor God or give thanks to Him. Our purpose was to fill the world with God's image. That's what these wonderful blessings He gave us were for. But we didn't. We sinned. We kept putting ourselves in the center. We kept putting what we want, our desires, over everything else. And it ruined us. It ruined our lives. It ruined our relationships. It ruined the world. And because we were living in a way that wasn't what we were meant to be, it started to change people. It made us futile in our thinking. It darkened our hearts. And when we lived each day in a fallen world with wrong and wickedness and sickness and death, without God to teach us what's good and what's evil, we started to imagine ways to make sense of the world. We started to imagine greater powers that look like sinful us or greater powers that look like the birds we saw or animals we saw. When God created us, he intended us to have dominion. He intended us to bring his image into the world But then we started taking what God created and then called it God and then bowed down and worshipped it. We were supposed to lead it in seeing the one true God. And instead we debased ourselves. We made ourselves something less than human. And that wasn't just a problem back then. We see the same dynamic today. We see it in the parts of our world where false gods are still very much worshipped, but we also see it right here. Anytime we imagine that modern man must have come from lesser animals and lower life forms over eons of interspecies evolution. You see, this is the root of humanity's problem. This is the root of sin and death. The reason that we do wrong, the reason that we ruin ourselves and the world is because we fail to acknowledge God. Because we go against God's design. The world is the way it is because we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. See, I can preach against sin all day. And I'm passionate enough and persuasive enough, I might just convince you to stop doing one or two bad things. Might get you to clean up your speech a little bit so you don't use some of those same four-letter words. Might get you to make some adjustments to some relationships that aren't what God wanted. I could rally enough of us and we could all vote in such a way that we pass some laws to outlaw some forms of wickedness. And that'll help a little. That will provide some protection to some people. That will punish those that willfully do wrong. But as long as we want to stay in the center, as long as we want to keep calling the shots, we want the world to be the way we 
want it to be, things won't really change. Because if we don't put God first, things only get worse and worse. Listen to what else Paul says in Romans 1, continuing with verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now let me get this out of the way first. In some places, what I just read is considered hate speech. There may come a day where we have to choose between this passage and live streaming our services. Where we have to choose between this passage and having a church website. Where we have to choose between this passage and being a tax-exempt organization where you can deduct your contributions from your taxes. Where we have to choose between this passage and having a building and a staff. And people think that way. They think that this is hateful, that it's bigoted, because we can't imagine that there could possibly be a higher authority in life than our own feelings. We can't imagine that there could be something more true than our passions. That if someone wants it, it must be good. Our whole country's built on that idea, right? Nothing more important than the pursuit of happiness. But understand, that's not just our world. When Paul wrote this, his world was like that too. You get frustrated that you can't take your kids to Disney movies? Homosexuality was everywhere then. There were some great Greek thinkers that said the love between two men was the noblest form of love. It was not at all uncommon for men to play around with being homosexual in their 20s and 30s. And then when they would settle down into family life, promiscuity was everywhere. You would have your wife, and she's the one that managed the house and had the kids, but then you had your side chick. Or you would go and worship in the idol temples where they would have prostitutes on staff to help you worship. It was everywhere. And then that's just the sexual sins. You want to talk about ruthlessness? You want to talk about brutality? Entertainment was gathering together in a stadium not to cheer on a football game, but together in a stadium and cheer on two human beings fighting each other to the death. You slice someone's throat, you stab them in the back, and the crowd would roar 
You see somebody fight against a vicious animal and as those claws or those teeth rip them to shreds, the crowd would go wild and that is how they were entertained. So appreciate when we read this from the Apostle Paul. He's not describing a way that the world was, but now it's different. The world was so much like ours, it's crazy. The difference being when we watch it, it's a simulation. What we watch on TV is people rubbing against each other, not actually going all the way. What we watch in the movies are people doing side, doing a different, um, what's the word? What's the special effects? Special effects. Lost it. I know that word. Special effects of people having their brains blown out. As opposed to actually seeing it live. So we watch people pretend to do those things. They watch the real thing. So appreciate our world. Isn't that different? And that way of living has consequences. Because if God created us and he is good, when he teaches us something, when he describes a different way to live life, his intent is not to oppress us. The things that he teaches are to protect us. There are diseases that we have to deal with. Mental health burdens that we have to bear. Violence that we worry about. Evil that is in this world because we wanted to find good ourselves instead of listening to the one who created us. Sin is what kills us. And we don't undo the ruin of the fall. We don't heal the mental health burdens. We don't cause people to be less violent by celebrating our own definitions of right and wrong. Because the sexual freedom and identity that our world is so proud of is not what God intended. And if I believe that he loves us and is good, then what he says will be better than my wants. The question for me is, do I trust? But not just there. Because most of the time, don't we usually use Romans 1 to just talk about how God's not okay with homosexuality. But that redefinition of human identity, of human relationship, Paul made clear is really just the start. All sorts of unrighteousness follows. And we might not ever attend a pride parade, but boy, do people envy the wealthy. Do we follow and like and subscribe to the arrogant, the haughty? Do we vote for the ruthless? You see, that's key to understanding this passage. This wasn't just Paul's inspired takedown of Gentile culture. This wasn't just him attacking the pagan, Greco-Roman way of life that he, as a zealous, blameless Jew, would never have touched. Because, listen to what he wrote next. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, 
practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life but for those who are self-seeking. And do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So do you see that? Because Paul didn't write in chapters and verses. We added that. He explained to us why the world is messed up and it's sin. The rejection of God leading to all kinds of evil. Us celebrating that evil as though it were good. But then chapter 2, really important chapter, makes it clear that he wasn't addressing that to them. The ones out there doing it. He was addressing it to us. The Bible reading, church going types. Because we know the world's a mess. And then we go do the exact same things. How bad is that? We're a church that follows the Bible, right? You're awfully quiet. Are we not? Did I come to the wrong place? We're a church that follows the Bible, right? Romans chapter 1 says that men with men and women with women in a sexual relationship is wrong, right? You know what else Romans 1 says is wrong? Gossiping. There are three different places in the New Testament condemning homosexuality. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Timothy 1. There are also three different passages in the New Testament condemning gossiping. Romans 1, 2 Corinthians 12, and 1 Timothy 5. So scripture mentions gossiping as often as it does homosexuality, and we do it all the time. Whenever God speaks, it's true. Whenever God speaks, it creates, it builds up. So made in God's image, living after his likeness, our words can have similar power in this world for good, yet we use those words to tear down. We use those words to corrupt. We use those words to spread falsehood. And when we say, or on social media, share things that are not true, we are not being in God's image because he's not the father of lies. Jesus says the devil is. We gossip about celebrities. 
We gossip about politicians. We gossip about neighbors. We gossip about family members. We gossip about church. We gossip in church. Did you hear? Can you believe? Or my personal favorite, some people have been saying, we do it, and we don't admit it. Oh, that wasn't gossip. I was just discussing. Oh, I was just making a point. Well, you know what I mean. So we agonize over the world's sin. Oh, the world is such a mess. But then we sin ourselves and we refuse to even admit it. Strife's the same way. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 3. Galatians 5, all condemn strife every bit as often as homosexuality is condemned. Even more passages condemn if you go looking for the word quarreling. Because if you look for quarreling, you find Romans 13 and Romans 14. You find 1 Corinthians 1. You find 2 Corinthians 12. You find 1 Timothy 2. You find Titus 3. You find James 4. Because God is all about relationships. When you look at how God operates, He is somebody who wants to work with us. He is somebody who tries to bring us together. Yet we as people divide so easily. Sometimes we'll divide and we'll even say it's for God. Well, we're doing this because we're taking a stand. We're going to defend the faith. But strife and quarreling are characteristic of false doctrine according to 1 Timothy 6 and Titus 3. Quarreling and being quarrelsome disqualifies you from being an elder, according to 1 Timothy 3, and keeps you from effectively serving the Lord, according to 2 Timothy 2. Yet still we fill our minds with it, with the TV we consume. We flood social media with it, with the things that we share. We bemoan the sinful state of the world, how no one wants to come to church anymore. But maybe part of the problem is our strife. Maybe it's because our main evangelistic tactic is not going out and sharing with people how good Jesus is, but trying to share with them all the ways their church is wrong. Maybe part of our problem is believers out there spend millions of dollars to try to introduce Jesus to the largest TV audience in the world and other believers nitpick it. Well, I don't like the way they said that. Well, if I had that money, I wouldn't use that the same way. Because that helps. At least somebody tried to do something. But let's sit back and criticize. I'm sure that'll be much more productive. Maybe part of the decline is because within a church, we insist on hearing the Bible read in the translation we want, on singing the songs that we like to sing. I'm having people only stand up front if they were wearing the clothes that we think they should wear. I'm keeping the forms that were true in past times. And if you dare try to change it, we will fight, we will quarrel, we will split. Consider the fact 
that the church isn't losing relevance in this world because the world changed. Because when I read Romans 1, it sounds an awful lot like our world today. And if that's true, the answer can't be that we need to redefine what the Bible calls sin to try to make peace with the world. It was always sin. And Christianity was always meant to be different. But maybe, just maybe, the real reason that the church is losing relevance is because we're not that different. Maybe we strongly denounce some sins, the others that we don't do, while ignoring the ones we do all the time. We don't wag the finger at them while having hard and penitent hearts ourselves. We sin, and it's not okay. We have no excuse. But we don't want to face our bread. We need to stop being self We need to stop living like we're the center of the universe. And we need to start seeking for glory and honor and immortality. If we don't want our generation, if we don't want our children's generation to be the one that sees Christianity depart from this nation, we need to repent of our own evil and go do good. That is what God's word teaches us. Not ignoring sin. Not compromising with sin. Not redefining sin. Really and truly believe that God's way is best. And then try our best each day to live it out. So forgive our wrongs if we do. So help us do right. So change our lives. And one by one, you change the world. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you for being well. Thank you for being so patient. Convict us. Convict us of the things in our lives that are not what you want them to be. Convict us that you do love us, that you do care about us, that your way is best, that we need your forgiveness, that we will be blessed by learning to live your way, that those around us will be blessed by receiving your love through us. And learning to live your way. Help us, Father, to not be ashamed of the good news of your Son. 
that we can be set free, that you give us power to have our lives completely remade and what you need for them to do. Father, for anyone that has assembled with us that hasn't named your son as their king, hasn't been rescued from their sins, for anyone among us who hasn't repented of the sins that they're doing, who hasn't been united with your son in baptism, stir in them, Father, convict them, Father, that deep desire that today might be the day that Jesus is made Lord of their life. That they begin the new life that you want for them with all the blessings that have been taken. Father, for those of us who know your word, who try to practice your word, but we've got great big old blind spots. We've got hard and impenitent hearts where we see the sins of others, but have such a hard time admitting our own struggles. Convict us, prick our hearts. Help us to continually seek repentance. Help us to continually seek your forgiveness. Help us to let you show us the right way to do it. And just thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for wanting to show kindness to us and giving us opportunity after opportunity to get closer to you. Help us to see those opportunities and to seek them. Help us to be who you need us to be. And as we start new week five, help us to not make excuses. Help us to see you in everything, every day. Help us to praise you for it. Help us to speak your name, to fill the world with your glory as we live life. Help us to resist temptation. Deliver us from evil. Help us to show your love and light to a world that needs you so bad. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.